I'll expect that same thing after my sermon. <laughs> you know, usually I'm very happy that, uh, to have seven chances to get the sermon right. This week I'm, I'm very happy to have seven chances to get the Hallelujah Chorus right. Uh, I don't know how, ma- how many uh, of the rest of you got lost in that thing, but uh, I think I need the large print edition. Well, today we want to take the passage of Scripture just after the Annunciation to see what Mary did with her word from God. If you would turn in your scriptures to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and let me review for her with you um, the fact that we're, we're kind of looking at Mary's life and seeing what we can learn from Mary. And she has just gone through a period where she's been confronted by the angel Gabriel, who tells her, essentially, that the Savior of the world is going to be born through her. Now, we have also examined the scriptures to note that the word for full of grace did not just apply to Mary, but to all of us. And therefore, without taking anything away from her unique role, uh, it, the Savior of the world, in a way, is born through all of us. That is, that is all of our role. So it's even more pertinent that we should take a look at the life of this young girl and see what we can learn. Let me remind you, then, of part of the passage of the Annunciation, starting with uh, verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Now, here comes a heavenly hint. Part of how well we fare in this world is how well we can take hints from heaven. Here's a heavenly hint. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Hint, hint. Here's what you can do next. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Very important decision in your life is what do you do once you get what you believe is a, is a, a signal from God? Once God impacts your life, what do you do next? Read verse 39 with me. Now at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah. You know, I think it's very important for us to take note of this. Because how many times in your life has God told you something and it's got lost in the routine of your everyday life? You just thought, man, okay, that's it. That's it, you know. And, but you got busy with stuff, with stuff you got to do. And it just kind of frittered away. And you lost the opportunity. Or, or maybe you thought, maybe, well, maybe, maybe that was from God. Maybe it wasn't. All of us have responsibilities in this life. And I am not advocating at all that we all run away to a cabin in the woods and just get away from it all. But I will say this. When you have heard something from the Lord, it is imperative that you get into an atmosphere where you can hear confirmation or hear that more clearly. You know why? Because we live in a world that doesn't mean to, but very much interferes with any particular communication by its pervasive communication. 
Um, I read a story some time ago about a, a, a young man who went into a counselor's office and, um, and he saw on the wall this contraption that just was emitting um, a, a, a low but a very constant steady sound. Now this was a very inquisitive young man, so he looked at the receptionist and he said, what is that? And he, she said, this is an ambient noise generator. And he said, what's it for? And she said, well, we have, we have very thin walls here. The, the, this wasn't originally built as a counseling office. The insulation's not very good. Um, and of course, as you know, everything that goes on in counseling offices is highly confidential. And sometimes when things get real quiet, you can actually hear words that come out from uh, the room. And, 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 and with this ambient noise generator, even though it's not very loud, even though it's not very um, annoying, um, it, what it does is it, it masks the communication. So even if you hear words, you can't concentrate. You can't put them together as to what they are. You know what I think the world is? An ambient noise generator. I, I really do. We're, we're more in touch than we've ever been. We're more out of touch than we've ever been. I don't know how many of you carry beepers and cell phones and, and, and are tuning into your uh, email all the time and, and so on and so forth. And you've always got the television going. You always got the radio going. There's always sounds all around you. And, and how difficult is it to really focus on what God has said if you don't get with someone to help you focus on what God has said. It's, it's great if they are like you, if they are in the same situation that you are. I'm going to say a little bit more about Mary and Elizabeth and how they were in the same situation. A couple of weeks ago, I had lunch with my good friend Howard Eddington. Howard, as some, some of you know, he's, a, he's the senior pastor down at uh, First Presbyterian. And, and uh, he's my friend. I love Howard. He's just a great guy. He's a wonderful preacher, but just a wonderful man, just called of God, very sincere. And it was just such a little oasis for me to get just get a conversation with a guy in the same situation as I am. They've got, you know, the same and, and to talk through. OK, what do you put your energy into? And we were just kind of bouncing ideas off each other. They got building projects there all the time. And, and you know, what what about the elders and what about the what about the congregation? And what, what do you what do you focus on And it? And I'm not sure that we, got, we solved the world's problems, but, but it was just, we could, we could just hear that we had been put into this wonderfully, two wonderfully graced congregations. And we could help each other um, just, just concentrate, focus on what was God, God was doing for a little while. It's important for you to do that. It's very important for you to do that. So the Bible says that when the angel departed, and Mary, at, Mary at that time went with haste. Now, I'm not sure how many of you pick up the sermon outlines when you come in here as something to scribble on. Sometimes I stick to that, and sometimes I totally avoid it. I, I, it depends. I do those very early in the week, and then sometimes what God does is different. But I said on the sermon outlines something about her hastening and giggling. My wife took offense to that. Um, she said, I can't imagine the Virgin Mary just running and giggling. That somehow doesn't fit with my picture of the Virgin Mary. Well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. 
Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what I was thinking. I don't know whether it's true or not. It's just how I picture it. But, but, but I, Mary was a young girl. Mary was a young girl. And you know, when you're young, everything's an emergency. And, 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 and so here she is, and she's, she's taking the hint from heaven. Hey, Elizabeth's going through this too. She's your family member. And so she's, she's running, and, and I, can't, I can't help but think that as much of a transition as she was going through, as much of a, of a as, 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 as overwhelmed as she must have been, as, as much as, as she must have anticipated the shame of what she would go through, still, she was going to have a baby. And, and, and you know, one of, the, one of the characteristics I see as I go around the world, one of the, one of the universal characteristics of young girls is giggling. When you don't know what to do, and when special attention has been paid to you, girls giggle. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And I can just imagine Mary running and just, and just giggling. I mean, just thinking, I've got a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a baby. When you think of a baby, you understand, please understand, God never met an embryo. God never, God doesn't know the word fetus. I mean, he knows it, but, but a ba- it's a baby. It's not like, oh, that's undif- undifferentiated mass of cells. No, no, no. That's a baby. God sees a baby. And when she looked inside her, see? When she heard from God that that little thing going in her was a baby. Wow. She, I think she was giggling. I really do. Anyhow, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So then she gets there. Now read verse 40 with me, because I, I want you to see this. And it entered and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now, uh, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot in that verse, is there? There's a whole lot in that verse. As a matter of fact, let's let's spend a little time with it. Why did she go there? Why did she go there? I think it's another universal human tendency, and I think it's a tendency that God puts in us to to be with people who who are going through the same thing. But not only that, but to seek out those people that might know a little bit more about what we're going through than, than we do. I think it's a universal human tendency to want a a weight of experience, a something to offset the, the whirlwind we know we're going to go through, the change that we're going through, the, 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 the kind of the winds of, of transition, so to speak. You know, I, I was interested a few uh, weeks ago, I read about an architectural device that they used on the Citicorp building in New York. You know that very tall buildings in any city, uh, but especially New York, being situated where it is, are prone to winds. And so those winds make the buildings literally sway back and forth. And if you're in those buildings, you can feel that. However, on the 59th floor, the top floor of this building, they installed what is called a tuned mass, here it is, a tuned, I've got it written down. I've I've said it three times and I still can't remember it. A tuned mass damper. 
a tuned mass down. And let me tell you what it is, okay? So it doesn't matter what it's called. It's a, it's a 410-ton block of concrete that is situated on the top floor, is attached to huge springs, and floats on a film of oil so that when those winds come and move that building, it can move and compensate for that movement so that the feeling of the movement is not as pronounced and the queasiness is not as bad. You know, when I read that, I thought about how I seek out people with experience, people of gravity, people of, of, of great weight uh, spiritually, and how I seek them out when we're going through rough times so that they can kind of sit on me, so that, they, so, that they can, so that they can say, you know what, this is all normal. Uh, you know what, that God's do- and, and just rem- remind me of the weightier issues of life. And that's exactly what Mary was doing. And that's exactly what all of us need to do. First of all, if you're going through something, you need to find somebody who's going through what you're going through. That's helpful. That's very helpful. Just to, just to know you're not nuts. Just to know there's other people who've been through it. They're, they're, I'm living, they're living. They're living, I'm living. Cool. You know, this isn't going to kill me. That's, there's, there are all over this country what are called affinity groups. And they're wonderful. There's every kind, they're all, in this church, I can't tell you how many different kinds of groups there are. There are all kinds of 12-step groups. Those, those are, you know, no matter what you're going through, there are all kinds of 12-step groups. There are men's groups and women's groups also, and there are children's groups and, and, and youth groups and, and, and young mother's groups and, uh, you know, everything in life, you can find a group here. Why? Because people need to get with each other that are, that, that, that are going through the same thing. That's a, that's a healthy thing. Added to that, though, is, is the fact that it helps if there's somebody in that mix that, have, that has lived a long time. Really does. I mean, this was, this was Elizabeth's first pregnancy, too. I mean, she was just six months ahead of Mary, so she could go, yeah, got sick. Yeah, yeah, that, okay, yeah, okay. I tell you, tell you what's happening. So a little information, you know, passes, and, and Mary feels a little bit more comfortable with the changes taken in her body. She stayed there three months. And so she, she needed that. But the thing that Elizabeth had is that Elizabeth was an old woman. She'd been serving the Lord for years and years. And that was very valuable to Mary. But there was a third thing. And that was she was, she was family. I don't know how many of you got family, blood family that you can rely on. But I know you got family, church family you can rely on. And I know that Elizabeth and Mary were family forever. And I know that really did something. But I want you to see something even deeper in that, this verse when Mary greeted Elizabeth. That initiated what, what we have called through the years the communion of the saints. Let me, let me just talk, for this, talk through this for a little while. We, every time we say the Apostles' Creed, we, we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic with a small c. That's not Roman Catholic. Catholic with a small c means universal. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. What is the communion of saints? Well, maybe someday I'll, I'll preach a whole sermon to you on the communion of saints. 
But I want to tell you this morning that it's more than just an affinity group because it's more than about what we're going through. The communion of saints really is the is the spiritual gravity. I, I see it. One of the things I'm doing right now is I'm researching my series for 2001, if you'll still let me be your preacher in 2001. And it's about the sovereignty of God in all things. And I'm going through the sciences and I'm learning that the basic foundational laws of science are the same as the spiritual laws. And, I, and, and one of the things that, that is, a, is the universal law of gravitation. Uh, Newton um, put this together. And it says gra- gravity is that, that attractive force between uh, two bodies anywhere in the universe that is proportional to their mass and to their distance. Now, I, I think there's a, there's a principle here spiritually that, that when something very deep, very, uh, very heavy, very ponderous, very important happens to us, we are attracted toward others to whom that thing has happened. Not a mere human whim, but we want to be around people who have had very sobering encounters with God. We're attracted to those kinds of people. We don't want to just do spiritual weather talk all the time. We really want to be with people who have had it out with God. And here's where where I see the communion of saints. I, I see not Mary and Elizabeth as just two pregnant women get together to talk about their pregnancies. But they both have been interrupted by God directly. And I think there is a gravity there. I think there's a gravity that happens when we get together that's not about people. It's about God. It's not about what we do in this life. It's about what God's doing forever. I think that's the communion of saints. I think that there's a, there's a sense in which we don't want it just to be about us, no matter how badly we do need each other. By the way, while I'm talking about this, if you say, man, I'd like to have somebody to talk to about spiritual things, but you haven't got that, make it your New Year's resolution to join a small group in this church. That's that's, that's something that's immediately available to you. But, But I think that it's not just about us, and we don't even want it to be just about us. We want it to be about God. Some time ago, I read about a young man who had just graduated seminary. I think there is a, a law. I'm going to make a, a book of axioms someday. And, and one of those axioms is going to be anybody who is newly educated with anything is dangerous. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because if you're newly educated, you're concentrating on how much you know and you're ignoring how much you don't know. And so I, I, think that, I think that you really got to watch it. And I, I remember the days when I was just out of seminary. And, of course, I thought I knew all the answers. And if all the old geezers had just got out of the way, I could fix it. And so, <clears throat> so there's this guy. He's was, he was, he was just kind of the same mentality. He didn't mean, I mean, he was trying to help. But, he, but, he, but a friend of his was killed in an automobile accident. And he went to talk to the widow. Now, he felt the same pressure going in that conversation that most of you feel when you approach somebody in great pain. Most of you feel like you've got to come up with something to make it all right. Let me relieve you of that responsibility today. You will not make it all right. The nature of pain is not to go away no matter how much you understand or don't understand. So please don't feel like you have to have an answer, especially a theological one. 
Many times when people ask why, it's a cry of pain, not, an answer, not, a, not a request for a rational explanation, and even if, even if there was one, that wouldn't fix it. But here's this young preacher going to this woman. Of course, she's devastated. And he goes in and he, he starts telling her all of the stuff he's learned in seminary, why there's pain and, 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 and maybe um, 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 this is God's reasons for doing this and, 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 uh, and, and this is, these are you know, in, in, in the best of all worldviews. And she, and she just stopped him. She just stopped him. By the way, if I'm ever going down the wrong track with you, I'm talking to you on the hall and I'm just going, just stop me, all right? I'd really appreciate it. I hope you know me well enough to know. I'd really appreciate that. She stopped him and she said, you know, I know you're trying to explain it to me. But you know, I really need a God who doesn't fit into my understanding. I need a God who would have such a profound reason for this that I couldn't possibly understand it with my human mind. That's the communion of saints. We're here because God has done something more profound than we'll ever understand. His majesty is higher than we can ever reach. That's why we're here. And when Mary and Elizabeth got together, there was the communion of saints. I need to tell you this too. (laughs) It's just a biblical image. You know, sometimes people free associate, preachers free, free associate Scriptures. And for some reason, when I was thinking of this, I was thinking of Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, many of you remember, is, is, the, uh, is the passage about Gideon and the Midianites. Gideon th- fighting the Midianites. Midianites had way bigger army. than, than and, 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 But, but the, the Hebrews had like 22,000 guys. But God looked at the Hebrews and said, you know what, you got too many guys. And, and, he, and, and they said, what? He said, yeah, you got too many guys, because if you go in, you fight, then you got 22,000 guys, then you're going to think you won the battle on your own strength. So I need to whittle this down a little bit. Tell you what, tell everybody who's afraid to go home. So Gideon up says, hey, anybody afraid to, can go home? 12,000 guys, you know? <laughs> of course, the rest of them were afraid, just wouldn't admit it. No, I'm not afraid. You know. So I got 10,000 guys left. God looks at him and says, still way too many. Way too many here. You're going to think you won the battle on your own. He said, I'll tell you what, take them down to the river. Eventually just take them down to the river and have them drink water. And some of them will cup the water up in their hands. And some of them will lap, lap it out of the river like dogs. <laughs> sure enough, took them down. 300 guys lapped it out like dogs. And God said, I'll take the dog lappers. I want to fight this, I want to fight this battle with, with people who drink water like dogs. So, you, so you, never, you never have uh, a doubt as to who won the battle. But the strategy of this battle really fascinated me. The strategy of this battle was to divide those 300 guys up into three camps or three, three positions. And their equipment basically was two pieces of equipment, a fire, a torch, and a jar over the fire. And they surrounded the camp of the Midianites. And on the signal, they broke the jars. And the Midianites were surrounded with light 
And they woke up and they were so afraid, they turned on each other and destroyed each other. You know what I thought about when I thought of Mary and Elizabeth getting together? <laughs> Here's two young mothers have the light of the world in their wombs. And when that light gets shown, you know in the Bible it says where two or three are gathered, there I am. Here were two women surrounding the world with light. That's what I remember. Anyhow. So, so the communion of saints. And, and, and then, let me just read a few of the rest of these verses. And it says this. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you begin to know that nature isn't just nature. You begin to be able to interpret nature. It's not unusual. You mothers remember this of having some kid try to punch his way out the side. You know, you're standing in line. I remember this being with Becky. Go, Whoa! You know, she just make this weird sound out in public. Whoa! You know, and it, what was that? Well, he just kicked. You know, he's trying to get out. Well, you remember this. So it's nothing, it's nothing abnormal about a baby leaping in a womb. But when you got the Holy Spirit, you know that timing is not accidental. Somebody once said that a coincidence is just what God does when he wants to remain anonymous. So she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She knew how to interpret the natural events. It says... And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Those of you who are raised Catholic know that's the second line of the Hail Mary. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now this is the first time they've met. I don't want you to concentrate just for this moment on how Elizabeth knew that. That's a God thing. But I want you to concentrate for a moment on what that meant to Mary. What does that mean to us when we get with other people who will confirm what God is doing in our lives? This is not mainly a sermon of evangelism. That comes later. This is what happens when believers get with believers. What does it mean? Somebody answer that, please. And the rest of you shut yours off right now. This is, what, this is what's important. That Mary needed to hear exactly what Elizabeth was saying. Do you realize what must have happened to her? What happens to you when you feel like you've heard from God? And just a few moments later, or you get, and, 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 the, and God starts going like this, and, and, and your mind starts going like this. I wonder if that was really him. Would somebody please answer that? Listen for it around you. Okay, good, thanks. All right, now, what does it mean? When Mary's going down the road, and she gets about halfway to Elizabeth's house and said, what am I going to say to her? Am I going to say to her that the angel Gabriel came to me? I mean, she's already got doubts. And then 
she starts thinking, was that really the angel? Was it, real, was it a bad piece of cheese? Was it, you know, what, what? And the first thing, she get, first thing she gets in that door, and Elizabeth turns to her and says, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? Do you know what that meant to her? Do you know what it means to people when you look at them and you say, I see God in you? When you open up your mouth, when you smile, when you encourage me, that's God that speaks to me. You know how much we need encouragement. One of my mottos has become in ministry, never underestimate people's insecurities. Everybody needs to hear this, and believers need to hear it from believers. It doesn't matter that you don't know the right words. It doesn't matter that you're not polished. It just matters that, that they hear what they need to hear. I heard a story about Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers, you know him. Little kid's boy, a little boy, you think, a pup. Did you ever watch his show, by the way? Those puppets freak me out. Those are the weirdest looking, those are like my cob puppets. But apparently they don't scare the kids, so it's okay. Mr. Rogers is a wonderful man. Do you know he's a, how many of you know he's a Presbyterian minister? That's his ministry. That's Mr. Rogers. And so he went through seminary and, uh, and, uh, um, and he's, and, and he's a, I've, I've met him. He's a, he's a, he's a kind-hearted man. But it may do you some good to know that somewhere, even in Mr. Rogers, there arises a critical spirit every once in a while. Because he went through, he went through seminary, and he, and he went with somebody. He just had come out of seminary, learned how to preach, you know, the right way. Um, and, and, um, and he went to this little country church with, with uh, uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, some lady. And uh, this old 80-year-old preacher crawls up in a pulpit. A guy that, uh, you know, everybody else would have said needed to retire years ago. And, and priest, homiletically, probably the most horrendous sermon he'd ever heard. I mean, it was totally, I mean, disjunctured. It was, it was just random. It, it, kind of like what I preach. <laughs> and he's, Mr. Rogers is sitting down there, before he was Mr. Rogers, sitting down there just taking notes. Because he's going to help this guy out at the end of the sermon. And he's getting more and more frustrated. And more and more, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. The sermon closes. He's just about to go up. And he looks over at the lady. And her eyes are filled with tears. And he said, what are you crying about? And she looked at him and she said, he said exactly what I needed to hear. It doesn't matter if you don't know how to say it. What matters is that God will speak through you what other believers need to hear. And so, we praise God. Let me ask the choir to come back up. And we're going to do one more rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus. But it's not like the one we just did. Because many times, God paints outside the lines. And so, there is this great old song that Quincy Jones did another arrangement with and, and it's just celebratory. It is something that just gives you the sense that God can act in your life 
no matter where. It gives you kind of the, now we're going to ask you to participate when you can, but I've got to tell you, you got to get loose for this. You, you're going to have to just kind of pop in when you can. And this is pretty much like Northland. You just pop in when you can. All right. Um, okay. We've got a big choir and I'm running out of words to say here. Just pop in when you can sing whenever you can. <laughs> Stand up and let's sing with them. If you have your scriptures with you, please turn to the Gospel of John, the very first chapter. Let me remind you of our context. We are working our way through the Gospel of John with this focus. We want to see this year eternity in our everyday midst. It is the proclamation of the Gospel that we do not have to die in order to experience eternity. The Gospel of John and many other books intimate that if we can have the eyes of our heart opened, we can see it in our midst. Now, let me tell you where we've come so far. We've just had three sermons. And the Gospel of John is such such a unique uh, expression of the Gospels because it follows a special um, milieu of, of, of Greco-Roman literary form. Let me explain this to you. The, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, had simple call narratives. That is, they start out uh, basically at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and they just kind of unfold the story. And the, and the story accumulates as it goes and climaxes um, 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 uh, uh, toward the end. Now, John goes the opposite way. John employs what is called a proclamation story or a quest story. Now, this unique form um, is one in which uh, huge concepts are started uh, to, to, or, or, or proclaimed up front, and then the details are filled in later. You start out with this thing that you can't possibly understand, and then as the story unfolds, you start to say, oh, okay. And so, and so John started first with the Word, the eternal Word. And then the next, last week, we talked about the Word and the witness, which was the Gospel of John. And now we're going to talk about the Word, the witness, and the witnesses, the ingathering of the first disciples. Here's the key, though. They proclaim things which they can't possibly understand. They're true. They're true, but they can't possibly understand them yet. They just proclaim them in advance. Some, some people say prophecy is truth in advance. And that's exactly what's happening here. Now, now turn, uh, uh, read with me, uh, starting with verse 35. I know we read this last week, but we're going to read it again. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and looked upon Jesus as he walked. Now, the, the, the original language here has an implication that there is an expectation that something's about to happen. He's not just... He's looking, you know, something's going to happen here. He says, looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, Matthani, uh, learners, eternal learners, but learners in a fuller sense than they could comprehend. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, what do you seek? Now, that's a very profound question. I, I, I think that it would be a good idea 
for all of us in those times when we experience unrest and personal disturbance to ask ourselves the question, hi, Debbie, how are you doing? Are you back from New York, uh, Chicago, huh? Good to see you. Um, I'm just seeing some friends as I look around here. Um, I, I think it'd be good for us to say, to, 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 to question our own hearts. What do I really want? What do I really want? Now, if you do that with some persistence, you will come to this conclusion. It isn't a what that you want because we weren't made for a what. We were made for a who. And so when Jesus turns and says, what are you really looking for? What do you seek? Maybe they had gone through that because this is their answer. And they said to him, Rabbi, by the way, one of the reasons that we know this wasn't just uh, written for Jews um, and that's why I explained it in terms of a, 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 a Greco-Roman literary device written, written for Gentiles is because the simplest Jewish terms are explained. He says, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? Ah, there's the key. Look for where Jesus is operating from and go there. Because truth is not a conception. It's a person. Truth is not a concept. Truth is not information. It's, it's a person. Where are you staying? And, 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 uh, um, and he said to them, come and you will see. There's a promise for you. I'm sure they thought he was talking about uh, his abode. Uh, what he was really talking about was him as an abode. Later, later on in John 15, he says, abide in me. And so he says, come with me and you will see. They came, therefore, and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two disciples who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Now, there were two disciples that followed him. It doesn't say who the, disciple, the other disciple is. We suppose that it was the writer of the gospel, John, um, because he knows a great deal of detail what, what took place in those, in those private times. And so, but Andrew, here's, here's a guy uh, who, who was known all his life. Look at that. Uh, was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. That's how he was known. I don't know whether you were brought up and you had a famous older brother. Uh, you know, this is so-and-so's brother or this is so-and-so's sister. Uh, and you were always connected with them. Andrew, of course, was a man in his own right. As a matter of fact, Andrew in the Greek means manly. But there are certain people among us who operate primarily as connectors. We these, day call, these days call them networkers. They will never be upfront people, but they have this tremendous role of putting together people in situations that will have explosive results later on. And that was the role that Andrew played. And it says um, that um, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Of course, a Jew would know that, the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. And both of those translated from the Aramaic means rock. Now let me tell you two th very important things that are happening here. So that we can understand not only the scripture, but we can understand our own walk. In the first place, the gospel is prioritizing relationship as 
previous to theology, relationship as necessary to theology, relationship as prerequisite to theology. Christianity is not a religion of concepts. Christianity is a relationship with God. And so therefore, we must be very careful how we unfold our theology. Now, there are certain uh, basic uh, concepts and truths that are applicable for us all. But, but you can't just have this little idealized set of information about what you believe. It doesn't cut it. I remember one time I was walking out uh, after a sermon. This is a few years ago. And uh, we have, because this is a non-denominational church, we have many people questioning what we believe. And we love that. That's great. That means they're chasing after, they're, they're interested uh, in, in, uh, in where you stand uh, theologically, and that's great. However, <laughs> um, th- you can substitute a checklist for a relationship. And I was walking out, and, and, and this guy just came, came up to me, and he was just riveted, you know? And, and, and he, he started going down a list about what we, what we believe, but, but it was questioning me. What do you believe? He wanted to know, as a, as a teacher here, uh, what do you believe? And so he just starts going down this list. Are you premillennialist, amillennialist, postmillennialist? What are you? I said, yeah. He goes, no, no, that's a choice. He says, what are you? And he, say, he just went on. He says, do you believe in predestination, free will? I said, yeah. He said, no, that's a choice. He said, and, 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 he, and he just went on and on and on. And I felt like this little light bulb was hanging over my head. And I was in some sort of interrogation thing. And I finally just stopped him and said, you know what? Those questions are way too personal. That's, that sounds like theology. But you don't know me well enough to know what I believe. You don't know me well enough to interpret what I would tell you. You've got to know me in order to know my theology. Jesus was saying exactly the same thing. He was saying, come with me, follow me, walk with me, and then you'll know what truth is. Because truth cannot be separated from a person. He was also saying, watch this, when Simon Peter came, that the truth, being in the presence of the truth of that person, will transform your life. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't just look at who you are right now, although he can see that very well. He looks at who you're going to be. You are Simon. Simon was volatile. Everybody knows this who reads the gospel. He was all over the place, lived on the edge. He was like a balloon that had just been let go, you know. He, was vo- he said, but you will be the rock. You're going to be as solid as they come. Now, what was happening there? Jesus was saying that part of the learning process, what you're learning, what your vision is going to do for you is it's going to change you as a person. I'm going to change you as a person. There's something about living in the weight of eternity that changes you. I'm doing all this study for 2001, and I just absolutely love it. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the images of the character of God built into the creation. And part of what I'm doing now is a, is a study in basic chemistry. And, and, and many of you who are chemists know the phrase, Phase transformation. Phase transformation. That is when one entity of matter literally becomes another entity of matter because it has been pressured from the outside. It doesn't take on new electrons. That is, it doesn't change its makeup. It's just 
Because of the pressure it's undergone, there is a rearrangement of the atoms, and it becomes something different altogether. Probably the most familiar illustration of this is a piece of coal that under pressure for hundreds of thousands of years becomes a diamond. It is the same thing. It's not the same thing. The pressure has rearranged its atoms so that it, it, has, it has gone from something that could be burned up in a moment to something that is the hardest uh, uh, entity on the face of the earth. So, what, 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 what Christ was saying is, you know what? You're, you're gonna, the, the weight of eternity is going to change you. I, I, I spoke with a group yesterday of uh, city leaders in a, in a marketplace ministry from all over the country. And, and, and the, the, my topic was vision, the vision of a leader. And, I, and, and as I stood there and I, and I spoke to these, these folks, and they're all, you know, a lot of them are young guys, and, and, and they're just really enthusiastic, and they just, they just kind of want to say, okay, how, you get a, how do you get a vision? And, 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 and I, just, I just was standing there thinking, I wonder if you can possibly know how you don't get a vision. You are inextricably bound up with the vision and the vision from God will change. You will be different people. And when Christ says to you, as he is about to, you're going to see greater things, I want you to know it's not just a matter of seeing. It's not just a matter of understanding. It's a matter of changing. It'll make a difference in who you are. Now read on with me. It says in the following verses, the next day, this is verse 43, the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. Now as it says in your uh, in your personal Bible studies, and please pick those up this week. These are so valuable to get you ready uh, for, for the message and to examine the Scriptures yourselves, which is the point of this whole thing. The point is not to listen to the message. The point is that, that I help you examine the Scripture yourself. Now, in, in, as it says in, the, in, in some, of the, some of the tidbits about the uh, Scripture, Nathaniel who was not listed uh, in the rest of the Gospels, is probably the first... Uh, of Bartholomew. Bartholomew is probably his last name. Bartholomew is listed in the rest of the Gospels. So it's Nathaniel Bartholomew, son of uh, Ptolemy. Found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, which he was legally. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, now there, was a, there was a little, you, you know, when you were growing up, you may, your town may have had a little rivalry with another town. Uh, it probably centered around sports or maybe a different school district or maybe it's just a different city, part of the city. But, you, you know, you, you, got this, you got this kind of opinion of them, you know. We don't, we don't like them. They play dirty. You know, they're all, they, they just, uh, we just don't like those people. Uh, and I want to tell you that is not a recent uh, phenomenon. That has been around for years. And so, and so I think there was a little competition going on here. Now think of what came, if somebody came to you and said, look, uh, Jesus came again and uh, he came first to the city of and point out the city you don't like. You'd go, what's up with that? I can't believe he went there. That's what's going on here. It's just a very simple human flesh thing. But look what he says. 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. There's the point. Come and see. Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. That means there's this, this is a true Israelite. You know, when you, when you accumulate um, the characteristics of your people, you accumulate bad as well as good. Um, some of the Israelites had, had accumulated the characteristic of Jacob, which we'll study, we'll, we'll talk about in just a moment. Jacob was a wily guy. He was a conniver um, and a supplanter. That's what his, that's what his name means. Uh, and in him there was guile. Now there are, there are people, there are believers who join up so that they can get a better deal in life. And then there are, there are people who join up because they want to do what God wants. They want to love God. They want to get close to God. And, 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 and it could be said of them, there is no guile in them. Now the Greek word here uh, is dalas, and you fishermen will be interested in this. Um, one of the uh, translations of that word is bait. Um, I went uh, fishing Thursday afternoon with my sons, and, and they know I'm not a very good fisherman, they're, they're, but they, we bought these hunker shiners. And uh, those, they were the size of fish that I would have expected to catch. But, <laughs> but they, know how, they know how to hook these things so that they just, you know, these fish just keep swimming along so that this huge fish will think, well, there's just a free floating lunch there. Now, unfortunately, we couldn't find anybody ignorant enough uh, to think that or any... <laughs> But, but, the, but the image there is that the, that, that is dalas, that you're biting into something, but you're getting hooked on something else. You're getting ensnared with something else. And that's what he saw when he looked at Philip. And again, this, 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 this phrase here is gazed intently, saw underneath. And he said, when you're looking at this guy, you're not going to get snared. In, there's no deception here. There's no political agenda. You see what you get. You get what you see. Okay? And then it says, it says, and Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? You see, when, it, when Nathaniel was so honest, he just, uh, he just wants to know up front. How do you know me? He's a skeptic. Jesus knows it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with coming into Christianity skeptical. As a matter of fact, it's great. Because... Because we can say, just like everybody, just like they did for you, come and see. Just, just see it. It'll prove itself. There's nothing wrong with starting as a skeptic. There's only something wrong with staying a skeptic. If you stay a skeptic, then something is happening beyond just a spiritual quest. There's something else going on there. So it says, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now here's another example of that proclamation that is true, but he has no idea how true it is. Let me ask you a question. When you stood up on your wedding day, those of you who are married... And you said, for better or for worse, did you have any idea of what you were? No, you didn't. I'll just answer that for you. No, you didn't. 
The proclamation was true. You didn't know how to fill in that blank. Uh, you, the concept was something, you, but you didn't know how to fill. You didn't know what that meant, really. When, when one of you said, hey, I have an idea. Let's have children. Did you have any idea <laughs> what that meant? Let me answer, no, you didn't. You didn't. You just couldn't know what it was to walk around for the rest of your life with your heart outside your chest. You just couldn't know. Well, what was it that flipped on in Nathaniel that somehow was true but yet not mature? How could he see more than he ever had, but yet that would probably, that was probably the day when he saw it the least clearly. What happened? What is there in you that can see eternity? Just little, little things that will last forever and somehow differentiate them from the normal things of life. I heard, I heard a story not too long ago about Dad up north who was out uh, shoveling his snow, and, uh, um, and the son was inside. He, didn't, he wasn't aware that Dad hadn't asked him to help or anything, but, but he came in, and the son's watching, uh, and the son, the son wrote this, and this is like 20 years later. The son is writing this. this. This happened actually a long time ago. And the son's writing this story, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this second-run cowboy film. And my dad comes in the room and says, You know what? You won't even... Remember tomorrow what you watched right now. He said, how would you like to do something that 20 years from now you will remember? As a matter of fact, you will remember it for the rest of your life. And every time you remember you did it, you'll smile. It'll make you happy. How would you like that? Well, the kid said, all right, I'll give you a shot. He said, old Mrs. Woodbury's walk is filled with snow. He said, I bet you could shovel that off in 20 minutes, undiscovered, so that she never knew who did it. See if you can and see what happens. And this, this kid, now a man, is writing 20 years later. And he said, I was done in 15 minutes. She never knew who did it. And I still think about it. And every time I think about it, I'm happy. What is there? about the normal things of life that can give you the insight that those will last forever. Those will be the things I will always be glad I did. What is there? What, when does the switch come on so that you see things that everybody else doesn't in ways of eternity? How was it that when all of Israel stood and trembled at a nine-foot giant called Goliath, and all they could see was how powerful he was. All they could see was how big he was. All they could see was his armor. 5,000 shekels. All they could see was this big spear he had that didn't even have a shaft. It had a beam. All they could see was how unbeatable he was. What was it that went on in David's mind that he couldn't take his eyes off that forehead? And said to himself, you know, that's too big to miss. <laughs> what was the difference? What was the difference when 
the disciples were in the boat and the storm came up and they were holding on to the mass and they were wondering if they were going to live. What was the difference when Peter looked out and saw Jesus walking on the water? And all he could think about is, I just got to get to him. I just got to get to him. What was the difference? What was the difference that carried him out? And even when he did begin to get distracted and start to relapse into seeing what everybody else was keeping their eyes on, he was not too far gone that God couldn't save him anyhow. What was the difference? What is the difference in the concepts that come to us that are filled up with the rest of our lives? The difference is not intellectual. The difference is personal. The difference is, as our relationship with Christ grows closer and closer, those sights, rather those insights, and those voices come to us. Read these last couple of verses with me. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I have said that I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, the you here is plural. It is not directed merely to Nathaniel. It is directed to us all. You shall see. The heavens opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now let me give you very quickly the scripture reference for that. It's in Genesis chapter 28. And it beckons back to that Jacob that we just talked about and his experience in the wilderness. And in Genesis 28, verse 11, he comes to a certain place, what he thinks is just an ordinary place. And he's going to stay there for the night. And in verse 12, it says he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And look what it says in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. (laughs) And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. How do you see heaven when you're on earth? Jesus tells us how. It's not a place. It's a person. He says, you will see heaven open up. And you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The closer you come to me, the more you're going to see heaven on earth in places that you just thought were ordinary, in relationships you just thought were every day. Thursday morning, Steve Bruton and I went down to see someone in the Orange County Jail, young man who's there for first-degree murder. I know his family. His mother is one of the most prolific Christian authors and Christian speakers in the country. His dad is a wonderful Christian. They've stayed in our home. There couldn't be a finer family. But here he is in jail facing first-degree murder. He had heard all of his life about the sovereignty of God. And he thought he believed in the sovereignty of God. Until he sat facing first-degree murder. 
And as we listened to him Thursday morning, and he just went on and on, he said, you know, I am so glad that they did not bail me out of here because it's just been me and God. And although I would love to be with my family, my wife and my children, because they need me, I am beginning to understand over these two months what the sovereignty of God really means. It's not about a location where I can find him. It's about finding him no matter what location I'm in. I'm beginning to understand what freedom really is. It's not about bars or chains. It's about understanding how God can use you no matter where you are and how God is perfectly free to put you wherever he needs you and that's the best place for you. I'm just beginning to understand. He's beginning to understand because he's getting closer to Christ. It's that or despair. And there was something in his voice that spoke to all of us. The chaplain and Steve and myself, we were only three in the room. But man, we needed that sermon. We needed that sermon. When is a voice not just a voice? Some of you heard the voice of God when you were very young. And you heard it through somebody who loved you the best. I remember being very afraid when I was little. I watched watched my first scary movie. And by today's standards, it was a dumb grade Z movie. You could see the zippers in the monsters' uniforms, for crying out loud. (laughs) But I thought there were monsters. And when I went to bed that night, I was kind of crying. I didn't want to cry, but I kind of was, loud enough for my mom to hear. My mom came in, and she rubbed her fingers through my hair, and she said, Joey, what's wrong? And I was honest with her. I said, Mom, I'm just afraid that the monsters will eat me. She said, Honey, there are no monsters. I said, That's easy for you to say. They just like bite-sized people like me. They don't come after you. I know they're under my bed. I know they're in my closet. Don't try to tell me there are no monsters. She looked up at me. She said, Honey, I will always protect you. She said that, but I heard another voice. Friday night, Becky and I were with some of the spiritual leaders of the city. We get together from time to time just to love each other and to pray together. And as we were sitting around this circle, Bishop Lou Campisi, I don't know how many know Lou Campisi, he's the bishop of the eastern part of the, of the Anglican church. Wonderful guy, Italian. He said, you know, my family either went into the mafia or the priesthood. I chose the priesthood. He said, uh, I love this. I've been praying for this. And as we prayed with our hearts burdened for Orlando and, and our hearts burdened for each other, there was just a moment of silence. And Randolph Bracey, I don't know how many of you know him, big black preacher with a voice of God. And there was just a moment of silence. And Randolph 
said. He didn't sing. He didn't pray. He said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I heard another voice. It was the voice of God. The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll hear that voice and the greater things you'll see because you see what he sees. He is the gate of heaven. Pray with me. God, thank you for your great promise that we will see greater things than we ever had. That Christianity is not a parlor trick or a paranormal experience where somehow we have the knowledge that no one else has access to. But Lord, thank you that we can look to Jesus who was given for all people to see. And when we look, we have the faith that you've given us. And because we have the faith to see him, we have the faith to see him coming and going in our everyday lives. Thank you. It is your gift. It is you. Amen.